0: Good day and uh, okay, that was a botched. I don't know. I wanted good day, eh? Good day, eh? Uh, no, <laughs> okay. all right. Um, that's a good sign off. Get Damn, off now. Out. Get out. out. Seacrest. Out. <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> this is the AT Banter podcast a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show.
0: Hey, and welcome to yet another episode of A.T. Banter. banter. Banter, banter. Banter,
1: banter. 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 Banter, banter. Banter.
0: I am Rob Minot, and uh, joining me today, as usual, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Howdy. And Mr. Steve Barkley. Good day, y'all. And, of course, Mr. Cowbell's in the house. You know, I'm really surprised that we have not received any emails um, asking what the hell the deal is with the cowbell. Everybody just seems to have accepted the fact that we have a cowbell.
1: What's, yep. what's not what? to accept?
0: I don't know. I guess I just expected somebody, at least one person out there being
1: like, why are they going on with the cowbell? I told you weird. <laughs> I told you our podcast needed more cowbell and this just proves that I'm right. Clearly the audience agrees with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, how are you guys doing? I'm all right. For a Wednesday? Pretty darn fine. Hey. What? I got to tell you, I saw the most Canadian thing I have ever seen in my life the other day. I was out at the Vancouver Public Library, wandering around, setting up uh, beacons for a beacon demonstration out there. yeah, that's right. And there was a dumpster diver going around from can to can, picking out Tim Horton's cups and (laughs) rolling up (laughs) the rim to win. (laughs) That's
0: smart. It is smart because I... During uh, roll up the rim to win season, I tell you, I can't even tell you how many coffee cups I throw out. And then two minutes later, I'm like, oh, damn it. I forgot to roll up that rim. So I've sure. probably thrown out a
1: lot of winning cups. For, for those of you who are not aware of the Tim Hortons roll up the rim to win uh, uh, thing, uh, basically Tim Hortons prints prizes on the rims of their uh, coffee uh, paper coffee cups. And if you roll up the rim, you can see if you've won something. Yeah, and you can win, like, free donuts and free coffees and... uh, And money. And money. money. They got big prizes, some of them. You can buy... You can win a car.
0: Yeah, that's right. Win a car. Yeah.
2: Win a house, win a car. Win a house, win a car.
1: So don't check your Tim Hortons cups. Yeah. Don't be a rob. (laughs) (laughs) Or be a rob. What the hell?
0: The world needs more robs. That's true. true. But I might be biased. (laughs) Uh, Hey, did you guys know... um, I noticed this um, on Twitter. Our our good friends at Descriptive Video Works, um, they're actually doing the video description for the Olympics right now for NBC.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah, For NBC, no kidding. For NBC, yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, it's awesome the fact that they've you know, decided to do video description for the Olympics um at all. But uh even cooler that uh yeah descriptive video works got the contract I guess. So
2: Yeah, I think NBC did it uh the last Olympics too, but oh, there's did a they? lot more content now.
0: Yeah. That's a lot of hours of, of Well I, uh, I don't
2: think they're doing it all. Oh, know, is that right? Yeah, I don't think they're doing it all. Because even uh, NBC isn't airing
0: all um, Well I mean but whatever whatever NBC yeah, is airing. Lots of their, hours. Their, yeah. their,
1: they're describing. Yeah, um, uh, you, you know the big events are uh, later on in the evening, so mm-hmm. that we have a chance to look at them. But holy smokes, it just gets so exhausted. I was up watching figure skating last night, no up until about uh, eleven thirty, and then I finally had to call her quits and go to bed. But
2: yeah, we've just been recording it and watching
1: it after. Yeah, we've been doing that too, but I don't know. Even even when I'm recording stuff, if I can get a chance to watch it, I'll watch it live because right. otherwise, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hear what the result was. <laughs> Anyways, somebody's gonna blurt out, "Hey, you know who we've got a gold medal?" Yeah. So, shut up, That's shut right. up.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like it sounds like the they are doing video description to 18 primetime telecasts of the games, including the opening ceremonies, the closing ceremonies. Descriptive video will be incorporated into the live broadcasts as well as NBC's video on demand offerings. So a little vague on on uh, how to find out exactly what is described and what's not. But uh, I'm sure if you go to the NBC website or uh, I don't know.
2: Perhaps Descriptive Video Works will have more on their website too. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm sure you'll be able to find out. But so for anybody out there who uh, has been waiting for this, there you go. You can now enjoy the pageantry and celebration of sports, that is the Olympics. Woohoo! Mm-hmm.
1: Sports. Did you guys uh, did you guys see the uh, articles that I uh, posted into the show notes? Um, um, which ones? You did the Amazon. Yeah. So the, the first the first one was uh, a, a blog post from a fellow named David Goldfield. Did we pull it up? Uh, oh, the Fire Tablet. That's what it was. Yeah, talking. yeah. How to install the Google Play Store on an Amazon Fire Tablet? I didn't even know that was possible. Mm-hmm. But apparently it is. So that's cool. You can get... Uh, you is know. it complicated?
2: Not really. No. You basically go into... Because it's running a, a, a version of Android, you go into settings and developer options. And if you tap that like seven times, it opens up some more settings. And then in there, it allows you to install uh, the Google Play Store.
0: Now, the Fire tablet is not available in Canada, though. Is Am I correct with that? Or, or is it now? I know it wasn't. Yeah, you can order them from Amazon. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, so you can get them in Canada? Yeah. Are you sure about that?
2: I can bring up Amazon.ca and look at fire tablets all day long.
0: Okay.
1: Yep. Yeah. Really. I could. Really? Yeah. You better not. Yeah, you better. Yeah, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> That's I this weekend, just... I said I could. <laughs> You're on right. the job, man. <laughs> on the clock. No, you can't. That's the wrong response. Anyways, we'll, we'll post that into the show notes, so uh, if anybody's got one of those fire tablets and wants to do that, they'll have the instructions for uh, doing that.
2: I also threw a news article in there this morning on um, smart paint.
1: Smart paint?
2: Yep. Smart paint. Did you see that one?
1: No, well actually I see the link now but uh, yeah,
2: smart you know. paint for people who are blind well, and they can actually feel
1: Tell us about it Steve. Uh, why doesn't Ryan tell you about it, well, I don't, yeah, he posted? Yeah. It? I posted I didn't read the whole article. <laughs> tell us about what? what? Cuz you
0: guys can pull it up on your phones. Right, right. Cuz he's too busy looking up the Fire <laughs> the Amazon Fire, fire tablet. tablet on Amazon <laughs> all day long. It.
1: He doesn't have time to read stuff. Okay, so this is from uh, Cool Blind Tech. Yay. Hey, our friends at Cool Blind Tech. Uh, university teams up to develop smart paint to help the visually impaired navigate. Uh, okay, so what's the deal here? Like
2: smart paint in intersections and say, no left, no right, no left, no right.
0: Stop walking on me. <laughs> Get off me.
1: <laughs> Just... <laughs> Okay, so a little quote from it here. John Lanuti, I'm guessing he's a good Irish boy, said, The goal of smart paint for networked smart cities is to assist people who are blind and visually impaired by implementing a smart paint technology that provides accurate location services. You might think, can't a GPS do that? But surprisingly, current GPS solutions actually cannot tell whether someone is walking on the sidewalk or down the middle of the street. Meanwhile, modern urban intersections are becoming increasingly complex. That means that finding a crosswalk aligning to the cross and maintaining a consistent crossing direction while in motion can be challenging for people who are visually impaired. All right. So intelligent material manufactures and supplies the unique light converting oxides that make the paint smart. Hmm. But it doesn't exactly say here how How it it works. works. I'm just, just skimming down
2: here. It sounds like you'll probably need another app on your phone.
1: I'm sure. Some intersections might need to have more paint features that enable smart white cane guided entry from the sidewalk onto the crosswalk. Paint that tells Hmm. users that they've reached their destination may become visible as horizontal stripes along modern sidewalks. These paints could be either gray or black or even invisible to sighted pedestrians. But would still be detectable by smart white canes to tell users they've arrived at their destination.
0: Interesting. Hmm. hmm.
1: That is kind of interesting. Yeah. But then, really, at that point, isn't it just kind of another beacon technology? <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty much. I mean, it, it yeah. does sound. Like it. I mean, it
0: sounds like an alternate to it. But then, mm,
1: then I mean, where... I can I can take one of the right here beacons and I can I can narrow the range of it down to a meter. So.
2: Right, but that still won't help you walk a straight line across
1: an intersection. That is true. Right. That yeah, is true. it's
0: true. I mean it sounds like yeah, this is this this technology would be very handy for, for intersections. Yeah, and, I suppose and if, you had a, if you
1: had a line on one side that said go right and a line <laughs> on the other side that said go left, you could weeble your way back and forth between yeah. them. But well then, it's
2: interesting. It doesn't really talk about the, what the smart cane technology consists of.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think all that stuff is is still in the works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds I, sounds kind of uh
1: um, Prospec speculative at this point.
2: Yep, but hey, the more technology, the better.
1: Absolutely. Hey, uh, there's a new scam, or there's a scam that's back. I guess uh-huh. the the one ring scam. New scam, basically. Is the Lord of the Rings thing? Yes, one <laughs> ring, to, one <laughs> ring to scam them all. My precious. And in the darkness, find them. Um, yeah. So the way it works is somebody calls your number it goes, ring, and then they hang up. And you go, hey, I just got a call from somebody. I've got their caller ID here, I'm going to call them back. (laughs) So when you go to call them back, you end up being directed to a 1-900 number that can cost hundreds of dollars per minute.
0: Oh, what? Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Oh, wow. And let me tell you, I've, I've known people who've been taken by stuff like this before, your telephone company will not do a damn thing to help you. Yeah, because you yeah, called them. Yeah, yeah, you called them. As far as they're concerned, that's that. So
0: basically, what the, the you call the number, the first thing it does is just like, please hold. Probably, yeah. And then puts on some really yeah. good music. Yeah, exactly.
2: There's another one I heard of recently, too, that's coming back around where you know, the scammers are calling you, trying to get you to say the word yes. And they're using <laughs> right. your voice recording and that yes prompt to make purchases online.
0: Oh no way! Yeah, really? They're using your recorded voice. Ah, oh, they're getting, The, the vocal confirmation
2: sleepy. to yeah, oh, to man. make purchases. See,
0: I miss crazy. the days of those Nigerian princes. They're easy to spot.
2: Well, I had the Canada Revenue Agency scam call me yesterday. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, I got that a lot. Yeah. From you. <laughs> Apparently, the federal marshals are out for me. That's so, right. Yeah. Are they, was it yeah. a live
1: person who called you,
0: or was no? It just no, a it was just recording. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, but they're so still I'm, looking for you. I'm a fugitive. <laughs> Uh, hey, Ryan. Rob. What are we doing today? Today, we
2: are speaking with a gentleman by the name of David McDonald.
0: David
1: McDonald? There's a voice from the past. Holy yeah, smokes. Yeah? Do
0: you, are you, are you, you you guys go go way back? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, David and I, uh, gosh, uh, I don't remember where I first met him, but uh, I remember doing a conference with him in uh, Quebec City, and we had all kinds of shenanigans. <laughs> oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay, well, yep. this will be...
2: And he's a friend of the show of
0: uh, Shan Noyce.
1: That's right. Yeah. Good guy. Just a, a terrific all around fella.
0: Yes. Well, and well, uh, I give, give the fine folks in the audience uh, a, an idea, a preview of what he actually does. What's he, What he's involved in.
1: Well, he's been very, very, very involved in uh, web accessibility and yep. web accessibility standards. Yes. That's uh, the biggest part of what I know he's been doing of late. But honestly, I've lost touch with him yeah, over the and last that's... little while and I, I don't know all of what he's doing. Well,
0: then let's... Th- call him and find out we should do that
1: hey david can
2: you
3: hear us yeah i can hear you can excellent you hear okay. uh
0: well hey well thank you so much for joining us today <laughs> thank you
3: just to let you know i uh i always sound like the guy from the godfather because i tried to be a rock star when i was a kid so oh no <laughs> so, uh, that's my disability <laughs>
0: <laughs> so well we won't make you quote godfather lines.
3: That's good. That's what I want.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, why don't you do the intros, sir, because that's your thing.
2: All right. So, David, just to let you know, we're ganging up on you. In the room with me, I have Steve Barclay. Hello there. I know Steve well, yes. Yeah, we were just talking about that. And we have our main host, Rob Minot. Hey, how you doing? Hey.
3: Good, good to talk to you. I was
1: I was telling, telling these guys about doing a conference in Quebec City with you, uh, I don't even remember how many years ago. 20 years ago, maybe? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Could be.
3: I probably had a full head of hair back then. Uh,
1: nope. <laughs> <laughs> Might not have been 20. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I remember fondly uh, walking down the street with you, rapping the Apostles' Creed with people... <laughs> People looking at us like our brains were melting, but but the funniest story I tell this story to this day, David. Whenever your name comes up about going into the uh, the Quebec uh, legislature,
3: well, yeah, they thought we were terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so David David goes in there and, and, and you know it, it says National Assembly of Quebec on the on the on the building, and uh, he goes in there and he says, "Is this the uh, provincial legislature?" and the <laughs> And the security guard looks at him like he's got a hole in his head and goes, "This is the National Assembly of Quebec <laughs> and And David gets this kind of stunned look on his face and goes--You y- mean it's it's like the provincial legislature no <laughs> no, it is the National Assembly of Quebec, <laughs> so that's for like the province, right <laughs> Yes, it is the provincial legislature. <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted to get rid of us at that point. Clearly, we did not understand Quebec nationalism properly. No, we didn't. We didn't. I didn't, anyway. <laughs> uh, funny.
0: Uh, well, you know what? Let's start the proceedings off with um, maybe you just giving us an idea of what it is actually that you've been doing for the last 15 years and uh, and, and, and what you've been up to recently.
3: Okay. Yeah, so I was, um, about 2002, I was at CSUN, which is a big conference on assistive technology, and I, I wandered into a uh, into a room where they were doing WCAG, and they were starting the WCAG 2.0, and I asked them if I could sit in, they said, yeah, sure, you know, kind of like I tried to sit on the Quebec Assembly there, you know?
1: <laughs> maybe maybe back up a little and uh, say what WCAG is for those who don't yeah,
3: know. Sure. So WCAG is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. And so what that is, it's a standard that companies and governments and schools and all different types of organizations try to follow when they're building their websites to ensure that it's more accessible to people who are blind, who have cognitive disabilities, or who may have some trouble moving their hands, some dexterity problems, these these types of things, hearing, uh, people who have hearing loss or who are deaf, and uh, people with low vision, so it's 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 intended to help webmasters to make their website more accessible to people with disabilities. And so I wandered into this room where they were were working on this. The first version came out in 1999, and they were working on a second version in 2002. And it sees on March of 2002. And you know I sat in and uh, and I just started making some suggestions. And they said, Hey, we really like the way you talk. You want to stick around? I said, Yeah, sure. And, So that was uh, 16 years ago. (laughs) Still on the team, and so um, so that's kind of what got me started uh, and on web accessibility. And so um, we spent about uh, the next six years finishing off the WCAG. We thought it would only be another year to finish, and uh, it took us six years because the web is always changing. It's very dynamic. These you know, and as it went forward from about 2003, 2004, 2005, it got more and more. You know, dynamic, more things changing on the page after you load the page, and all these types of things, and it was difficult to make standards, you know, uh, that would uh, that would meet these and that would make them more accessible to people with disabilities, particularly people using screen readers, and so that's that's kind of what got me uh, going on it, and uh, it was really great. It uh, worked out well, and um, I guess that's uh, that's. Uh, We've been doing that ever since uh, In 2008, we came out with the 2.0, and we really didn't know how it would be taken by the world, you know, and uh, it turned out to be, I guess, one of the most successful standards, any type of standard in the history, in the history of standards, I would say, because it's been adopted by at least uh, 10 countries, and uh, and it's been adopted by numerous uh, jurisdictions, and uh, it's turned into a very um, successful uh, standard, And so, uh, you know, that I said that I lost my voice because I tried to be a rock star when I was a kid. Well, um, you know, then I became kind of the rock star that I wanted to be when I was a singer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I got very busy doing web accessibility for companies and helping the Canadian government as they were uh, addressing some court cases and helping them to uh, migrate to a more accessible website. And You know, working with large corporations and I, I still do that today.
2: So, what type of things like does the standard include?
3: Okay, well, I'll give you a few examples. Um, so, uh, in one point one point one, we find text alternatives. So, that's the rock star of accessibility. Basically, um, it says uh, you know that anything that's a non-text content needs to have a text alternative. That, of course, includes images, and it does also include you know uh, um, form fields and other things that are not text by themselves, video, and uh, that kind of thing. So in 1.1, you need a label for your video and for your audio. uh, And then in 1.2, you get into media alternatives, and that's where you get into captions and, you know, audio description and transcripts and, uh, you know, uh, transcripts for audio and all that kind of thing. And then you get into, I guess, uh, further on 1.3, you get into information and relationships. And that that's basically talking about, you know, if you make something look like a heading on a page, make it actually act like a heading in the code. You know, use a heading tag. And that way, a screen reader user can navigate between headings. And, of course, search engine optimization will be much better too because you have proper headings. So that's the kind of things in in uh, the WCAG. You know, I could go through the other things like, is 1.4 is where you get the contrast, making sure you have your text has enough contrast with the background so that you can see it if you have low vision or you have trouble seeing colors. You know, and so in the 1.4, we also have, you can't use color by itself, Um, you know, when you're in your code, when you're coding things, uh, you need to be able to provide it in another way. So the classic of that these days is, you know, they remove the underlines in, in links these days in inline text. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a person who's colorblind might have to throw his, move his mouse over the entire text in order to find out what's a link and what's not, because only on hover does the underline appear, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's an example of a failure of a WCAG. Um, you know, and then in a two point zero, we get into all the operable ones where you uh, success criteria, and that's where you talk about keyboard accessibility, making sure everything works with a keyboard. So can you put your, can you unplug your mouse and use your website perfectly well Without your mouse, and if you can't do that, then you're going to fail 2.1. Hmm. And so, uh, those are the types of things we find in there, and you know, goes on from there.
0: Now, what, what was the what was the sort of the the climate back sort of in the early 2000s when you first came on? I mean, it must have been very different now because, you know, a lot of well, I shouldn't say a lot, but I mean, some of these accessibility hurdles have sort of become the standard in, the, in say, the past 10, 15 years. Was it was it very different back then? Did it really feel like an uphill battle? Well,
3: you know, I had I, I, I had a good reason for volunteering on WCAG. My phone wasn't ringing much elsewise. Right? <laughs> you know, I was specializing in accessibility, and my phone didn't ring that much, to be honest. And so I was able – I had a great boss at the time, and he was really committed to this thing, and he, he basically, you know – Paid part of my salary in order for me to do this work, and uh, so I was very, very privileged to uh, spend that. And that was Bill Shackleton, and the company at the time was ERAMP. Now Bill's basically retired right now, but he's an uh, incredible guy who, uh, you know, was a real pioneer in this field in this space. And he he really uh, mentored me, and he uh, he uh, he sponsored me really, you know, and and made it possible for me to do that work. And so. Um, Yeah, it was a very, very different climate. Uh, There was not a compelling, I mean, the government of Canada didn't get sued until 2006, and it didn't, the case didn't get solved to 2010. So all those years in 2000, 2000, you know, we had the ADA, but there was no, uh, there wasn't much precedent at that point for applying the ADA to websites, because um, the ADA was, you know, for physical buildings and accessibility for your stores and that kind right. of thing. Right. And so it was very, um, a very different climate. You know, I don't know whether we'd call it an uphill battle because because for me, uh, like I was just really focusing on getting the standard right. And then, um, you know, so I wasn't fighting a lot of the political battles and stuff like that. But what I did notice is right after that Donna Jodden case, it was very funny because I was kind—I of, I got married in uh, 2011 and, you know, I've been a bachelor my whole life and it's easy to be, you know, kind of volunteering for organizations when you're a bachelor because you don't have to make much money, right? <laughs> you know, but, but I got married in January and, and this incredible thing happened as soon as I got married is the Donna Jodden case went through <laughs> the Canadian government. So I came back from my honeymoon and the phone rang from Transport Canada You know, and they wanted to make their website. uh, They wanted me to audit all of the Canadian jurisdiction, like Air Canada and Via Rail and all that kind of thing. All the, you know, transport providers in Canada uh, audit their websites. And uh, so I came back from my honeymoon and (laughs) I came back to that job, and my phone (laughs) hasn't stopped ringing ever since. It's been crazy ever since then. So, you know, I, I've been able to pay for my my family and now I've got a little two-year-old daughter and I'm able to, you know, think about putting her in school and all these great things that, uh, you know, that that have come, uh, you know, because there's been a demand for for what I do. Um, but uh, but that's not why I got into it. I got into it because I wanted to do the right thing and I'm still sitting on the WCAG and We're just getting ready to release a 2.1 now. So that's coming up in June, uh, probably, and uh, we're on our... Uh, on our final draft right now, and uh, so uh, that's uh, you know it's it's an exciting time. There's there's a now critical mass for accessibility.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. When when you're um, when you're coming out with new revisions like uh, like two point one, for example, what's what's driving the majority of the changes? Is it actually changes in the web, or is it just revisions on things that you're you're updating and improving upon?
3: Oh, it's changes to the web totally. It changes to the web the way people work. You know. We've, of course, being where you stand at the WCAG, you know, there there's certainly is, uh, you know, a certain amount of criticism for the standard itself. And I understand that because, you know, a lot of people are relying on that and, and you know, uh, companies and and uh, large, uh, you know, governments are implementing it and judges are ruling on it. And so, you know, the disability community needs to know that their needs are going to get met if, if people do follow the WCAG. So there's a really good reason for some of the the criticism of the WCAG. But the big thing to understand about the WCAG is that it's a consensus document. And so what that means is that in order, you know, on our 2006 draft, we had 1,200 comments against it. And in our 2008 draft, we addressed we addressed every one of those comments and got the, the commenter to, to either give us a yay, nay, you know, or abstain. And uh, and we got on our final draft, not one, our final uh Recommendation, I should say, in 2008, December 2008, we didn't get one uh, formal objection, which is a remarkable thing for a standard. And so when I say I think we got it right, you know, it, being involved in it, I kind of feel like, you know, I always wanted to play music when I was a kid. And it's kind of like if you got, if you happened upon, you know, being involved in writing or producing a hit song, you know, and then somebody would come up to you afterwards and say, well, you know, if you had to change something, what would you do? You know, you're kind of like, well, I don't know if I would have changed something, maybe it wouldn't have been a hit, you
0: know?
3: <laughs> so, so we, it really was a, a, a hit standard. Now, the 2.1, uh, you know, in 2008, you know, we, the iPhone didn't even really exist. Okay. So, right. so, you know, the idea that somebody would actually put a person who's blind would put their finger on a screen and, and and, you know, navigate with it was, you know, I'd never heard anybody talk about that right? ever, you know, so that was a radical thing. And I was able to talk to James Craig over at Apple, who was one of the people involved in that, you know, and I said, you guys just completely blew the doors off with the voiceover on, on an, on an iPhone. It was just never, you know, we just never even thought of it. Right. So, so we had to, you know, update a few, some of our guidance to make use of that new reality. And so we have, you know, a several new mobile success criteria, nine of them to be exact, in the new 2.1. And uh, and so, you know, we're trying to pay attention to those those new realities. Um, the other things is, uh, you know, right now in the 2.0, there's a requirement for text to have sufficient contrast with the background. But the low vision community was really hoping for more like icons and for, you know, Affordances. Now, what affordances are those little borders and things around buttons so that they can actually see where a button starts and stops. You know, so those types of things are required in the 2.1 if they get through. Now, I have to say that item is at, at risk right now because the testability of requiring important graphics. You know, first off, what is important? We have a definition of it. We're hoping it's going to survive but, uh, you know, this would require that important graphics have sufficient contrast also and, and affordances on buttons and stuff like that. So those are the types of things we're trying to get in. We're trying to get in a new success criterion that's going to help people with cognitive disabilities go forward. Hmm. There's a bunch of new attributes that uh, that area is looking at right now. The team that's writing area, which is, a, which is a, an extension to HTML, which, you know, speaks to screen readers, but uh, helps screen readers, you know, identify complex widgets and how they work and dynamic things. And so we're having, we're doing a, a whole new, uh, you know, uh, 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 standard on called COGA, uh, cognitive accessibility uh, standards where we are, uh, there's attributes that you can add to, you know, input fields to help um, people with cognitive disabilities actually insert icons that represent the form field, so they don't have to read them as much,
0: hmm.
1: and
3: they have you know reminders of them and those types of things. So we're hoping that success criteria get through. We had to really pare it down because there's, the assistive technology just isn't there right now. We're hoping that there's going to be a plugin really soon that's going to be able to do things with this. So what we required is that you know organizations that are making uh, their websites and their form fields would have to provide the autocomplete feature uh, attribute all of their inputs for, for specific inputs that have to do with uh, with the user. And so what that would do is it would make very quick, you know, filling out of forms and help people, you know, have cognitive disabilities, but it also give little hooks where this software could come in and it could swap out icons, put icons. It could make the page simpler based on what they want to see or don't want to see. So these are the things that we're hoping that are going to come forward, you know, in the new WCAG. If it doesn't get into the 2.1, you know, there's silver coming up, which is the next major revision of the WCAG. It's That's a code name for it. It'll probably have a different name when it comes out. Right. And they're looking around 2000 for that. And that's actually going to take, you know, everything off the table and, and kind of start from scratch and see, is there a better way to organize it? Is there a better conformance model? You know, and it's just going to relook at it and see if we can improve on it. If we can't then, you know, we'd do some sort of an extension on the 2.0, but we we are revisiting the entire structure to see if there may be, in the new reality, a whole new way to look
0: at it. So, it's, it sounds like, you know, you you guys um, are really sort of racing to sort of keep up with the technology. Is that is that sort of ever an, an issue for you guys? Like, the, the technology is actually outpacing how fast you can come yeah. up with new standards? <laughs> That's a fantastic question. <laughs>
3: So Steve, you are very, very up on what's coming out in technology. You know, I I'd often have great conversations with Steve because he knew exactly what was coming out and what was coming out next and where everything was going. And, and I think Steve, you know very well that the technology is moving very, very quickly and we're struggling to keep up with it. And that's that's very, very true. You know, just like you guys, I'm operating at the highest levels. There's not a lot of other people, you know, in the world who are, you know, looking at the stuff that we're looking at. And trying to solve these issues. And uh, and and I can tell you that there is absolutely no guarantee that we're gonna stay ahead of technology. In fact, we're behind it right now, and we're always playing catch up. So the the new technology comes out, then the assistive technology struggles to find a solution to it, and then you know, and then we make standards to formalize the things that webmasters will have to do in order to talk to the assistive technology that solved the problem, you know, so it's always this triangle and trying to keep up with the technology, you know, a perfect example of that is recently Firefox made a new brand, a new build, (laughs) you know, and they, they changed the way that, you know, the DOM works or the way, you know, the way it talks, the accessibility API, the way the page refreshes and all kinds of things. And it's been radically different. And the folks over at Freedom Scientific have, you know, they're just throwing up their hands they're like, man, I don't know if we can keep up with this. So they're working hard with the Firefox team yeah, yeah. in order to, you know, solve that problem. I understand a 58 is better than 57, but, uh, you know, it's still a lot slower than it was. So, you know, it's two steps forward, one step back. And and it's scary times, to be honest, because we could have, you know, if we don't get this right, we could have, the, you know, with all of our advances in human rights and all of our technology and everything, with all that stuff you know, with the disappearance of face-to-face transactions, we could see in the future, you know, uh, a more exclusive society than ever in history. In other words, we we could be in a place where people with disabilities will be more excluded than ever before, which is scary.
1: Yeah, that's frightening.
2: I'm going to ask a question that, you know, may seem obvious to, to some, but it's not to me. Why is it, if we have standards, that... All the web browsers render pages differently. <laughs> so Chrome will work with one page. It won't work with another, so I have to go to Firefox.
3: Steve, you want to answer that? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, honest, I'll tell honest, you what yeah. I think. You know, and Steve, you maybe can jump in and tell me what your thoughts are on this. Um, so, so, you know, these guys are competing against each other, and they're competing at... You know on very very subtle differences in speed and everything they can do to try to tweak things make them faster and all that kind of thing and so um the the you know disability and accessibility is really kind of an afterthought unfortunately you know it's not built in and and the recent stuff with firefox is a perfect example of that we had the same thing with edge right Mm -hmm. edge you know was released and then you know a year and a half later, they start thinking about accessibility, right? They're getting, trying to get the accessibility right. So, so it's not their first, they're not, they're not, you know, uh, when the cement is wet, they're not building the accessibility as much as they could. And so there's a lot of forces driving them and, you know, they're, they're in danger. If they lose by six months, if they're behind by six months, they're in danger of perishing. I mean, you know, the edge browser right now, I think it's what about four or five percent. And I think mm-hmm, yeah. IE is down to what about eleven or ten percent or something? Twelve mm-hmm. IE eleven is down to something crazy. Anyway, maybe it's not, maybe it's more than that. It's it's that was Firefox, I guess. I think IE is what around 30, is that right? Forty, something like that.
2: Not sure, it's just IE seems like it's getting more and more antiquated every day. So
3: Well yeah. it is, it is it is they're not working on it anymore. They're working yeah. on edge, right? And so that's the new browser for Microsoft, and you know IE11 they just keep up because it, in some of the organizations like banks and stuff, you know they roll over very slowly, and so they can't move off of IE for you know for the for the foreseeable future for the next couple of years anyway. Right. So 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 that's pretty you know that's the reason that I can see is it's just that accessibility isn't a primary now. Having said that, you know HTML5. It, you know, has two sides to it. it, has the code side for the authors, but also has the interpretation side for the browsers. And so there, I think, you know, going forward, we're going to see more kind of a consolidation and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that they're not just going to be mean, you know, and keep doing <laughs> things differently.
2: Yeah, it would be nice if we actually had some consistent browsing across all the browsers. <laughs> yeah. Irregardless of what screen reader or adaptive technology you're using.
3: That would be great, you know, because it'd make my job a lot easier because I'm testing constantly <laughs> mm-hmm. three, four different browsers and three different screen readers, right, and yeah. four different screen readers. So it's a lot of work, uh, you know, for testing accessibility.
1: Mm-hmm. So, David, recently we've we've seen an influx of these uh, Internet-connected devices uh, for the home like the uh, the Google Home and the uh, Amazon Echo. Uh, do those present any, uh, any challenges for uh, the standards?
3: Well, uh, I'll be honest, it's, you know, w- we haven't been looking at, we haven't been looking at, you know, the Alexa kind of, you know, products that's going to be looked at in silver, you know, at this point. It's, a vo- it, it's naturally a voice interaction device, so, so if you don't have a voice like me, right, I have a voice disability, it's going to be hard for me to, you know, to interact with it you know, very easily. So I I wouldn't be very motivated to use that tool. I'd be motivated to go to the browser. It's really it's really a voice interface, you know, search really in a lot of ways, you know. Um so uh so you know I have to say a big question mark on that, what's gonna happen going forward is also probably disability for you know hard for people with harder hearing also, right? You, it's not, you know, so people with voice and hearing problems are gonna, you know, have trouble with those devices and the uh, So I'm not sure what, you know, I think it's going to be a niche item that's going to be very common, but it's not going to replace, you know, screen readers and and the Internet, I don't think. Like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Now, it might be really great for the blind community because, you know, they can just yell at it and tell it to do something and it'll do it, Mm -hmm. which would be great. You know, like you don't have to go look for something. You don't have to fight with the, you know a bunch of buttons that aren't labeled properly so there's a lot of there's a lot of wins in it you know and i think having those devices is is going to really make the world a lot more accessible in the long run but it just like every new technology there's going to be people who are going to benefit from it there's going to be winners and losers on it
2: well even at CES this year you know, the the Alexa, sorry, everybody, we just triggered your devices, but the, the Alexa has been incorporated into many, many laptops and other hardware devices now. It's not just standalone voice assistant speakers. So, you know, that may be a whole new way of interfacing with your computer.
3: Oh, yeah, I would see it. And for, you know, for people with low vision and who are blind, I mean, it uh, sounds ideal to me. I mean, because it's, it's using artificial intelligence to... Sort out all the stuff that the that you know they missed on the labels and everything. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of promise there, for, particularly for the low vision and the blind community, and the cognitive disability community also. Also.
0: So how closely do say you know the people at Mozilla or Microsoft work with you guys? Like, is there a, do you guys have a relationship where they? You know, sort of tell you what they're up to, or is it basically they just released a, a browser and then you guys sort of deal with it?
3: <laughs> well, there, there's, 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 there, That's a really stacked question that could have about a three-hour answer. Excellent. I'll try to give the.
1: All right, longer second. show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
3: try to give the thirty-second uh, kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, synopsis of it. Um, we don't have a personal relationship with any of the browser organizations. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. There's, um, you know, in the in the Web Accessibility Initiative within the W3C, which is where we belong, there were three initiatives initially. So there are the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, which is the WCAG, which is what I've been working on. Then there, there were the User Agent Guidelines, which were the browsers. And then there were the Authoring Guidelines, which were basically things like, you know, Dreamweaver and, you know, uh, Lib. Uh, eclipse and other you know things that you use to to create content, right? And so so there were three separate standards. Now um, through I I don't know why, and I'm not going to try to speculate, but for some reason the user agent guidelines um, are no longer continued under the way the Web Accessibility Initiative. They have been canceled. The, the I mean the guidelines still exist, but they're not being actively worked on anymore, and so. Um, so the browsers, I think, you know, I don't know if they were nervous that uh, that uh, there may be, you know, they may be uh, imposed things might be imposed upon them that they would may not have as much control over or whatever. But for some reason that uh, that standard has not is not being worked on anymore. So in the new um, silver and the next version of WCAG, there's going to be more uh, integration between, you know, the, the browser itself and the actual author because, You know, we can tell 200,000 authors, you know, to do a certain thing, or we can tell 10 browsers to do it, which is going to be more effective at getting the job done, right? Right. And so we would would much rather things get fixed in the browser than the authors having to do it. And we're seeing, you know, some really good wins on that, like a lot of the HTML5, you know, input, uh, new input things are well supported. You know, we may see in the future, you know, active dialogue boxes in HTML where you just throw, you know, you just do you know, the dialogue elements and suddenly, boom, an HTML, you know, a dialogue box comes up and you don't have to do a bunch of JavaScript and it'll be accessible out of the box. So, so we're hoping to get those kinds of wins, but that takes a lot of integration between the, the language of HTML and the browsers themselves. But at the WCAG level, no, because what we're doing is we're telling people how to use HTML and other technologies. In other words, we're not, we're not speccing a technology we're telling authors how to use the technology that already exists. Now I sit on the HTML5, you know, a committee that's writing writing HTML5. And we're trying to build in, you know, accessibility right into the standard itself. And, you know, so the browsers are taking keeping a close eye on that. Mm-hmm. And at the Wikid level, we're more interested in what's happening at the accessibility API, which is a bit of software that sits on an operating system that talks to screen readers. So we're very interested in that. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of interface between us and and that team, those kinds
0: of teams. Oh, in terms of authorship, because it seems to me that, you know, in the last few years, um, you know, the way that that a lot of people uh, author web pages these days have changed sort of with the with the. Popularity of say WordPress, for example, um, have you have you found that like you know not a lot not a lot of people sort of will say use Dreamweaver and just and just build some pages and upload them yeah. like to an FTP. <laughs> You're absolutely right. There there are I a mean, lot of platforms. Has that has that really changed the game for you guys? It's
3: totally yeah. Like the CMS, you know, we we and React, we're seeing a lot of React, and of course, you know, uh, jQuery. Of course, is starting to die in terms of the UI element of it. jQuery itself as a language is is not dying, but jQuery UI is starting to die, but React and Angular and all these frameworks now, you know, and also you know Drupal and and WordPress. I'm naming those two specifically because mm-hmm. they've actually spent a lot of energy trying to make things more accessible in they open source. Um, you know, it's really really hit and miss with the CMSs. So when companies are building their websites with CMSs like like Dreamwe- uh, like sorry uh, like uh, Drupal or or WordPress, you know they are. Um, Those are authoring tools also, right? But uh, the thing is, is depending on what, you know, uh, plugins that they're using, it may or may not be very accessible because it's an open source community. So, you know, Johnny Lunchbox developer, maybe, you know, over inside he makes this cool um, date picker, you know, but it's not accessible. He puts it in the WordPress, uh, you know, submits it to WordPress, where it's accepted, and it suddenly becomes a popular WordPress um, plugin, you know. And so then you have no matter how much work you do on the core of the CMS itself, which is, you know, what you get out of the box when you first started all of the cool widgets, like the pop outs and fly down menus and, you know, things that, you know, sliders that go to the right and the left and media players and all these types of things that do cool things. They, um, you know, they may or may not be accessible depending on who the author was. Right. And so that makes a big difference. And so I'm always, when I, I, I often my reports, I'm telling organizations to, you know, fix this particular plugin. And then when they fix it, load it back up to WordPress, get it back to the author and, and tell them, hey, we fixed your accessibility things in here and get back to the community that way. So so I, we try to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's it's kind of the Wild West out there when you're dealing with with open source, right?
3: well not only open source but closed source too It's kind of a wild west to be honest you know any of the any of the dot net frameworks like sitecore you know they're all you know kind of uh, the accessibility on them is kind of sketchy also so you know it really you can't really hey, there there's no safe harbor for yeah. accessibility this really is the wild west and, and it's not for the faint of heart you know if, you, if you're a screen reader user, you know, like you, like you are, you know, I'm sure you understand going out there. Some sites really work great and others are not so good, you know?
2: Well, at least we can applaud the fact that Flash is dead.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. We could have like, we could make it like a celebration song, you know? <laughs> celebration times,
1: you know? Yeah,
0: I'm sure that was a thorn in your side for many years. And Flash was awful.
3: Yeah, well, Flash was hard, but, you, you know, the interesting thing was the people who were doing Flash weren't that interested in accessibility, so they I didn't get many calls about yeah. Flash. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know, I taught a few Flash courses, and, you know, Adobe, they've got an accessibility department, but I, I sure wish they would have, I just wish they would be more uh, committed to accessibility, you know, on their technologies, like the PDF and the right. Acrobat and, and uh, you know, it's the, they're they're hard technologies. So I don't want to fault them too much, but I would like to see them, you know, give more of an investment into those, you know, into the flash in the old days and into PDF now. Now PDF is dying too. I would say, you know, I would say that there won't it'll be relegated to mm-hmm. kind of like vinyl, you know. And I love vinyl; it's got a place. And uh, and PDF will have a place in the future, but I don't think it's going to have a place on mm-hmm. websites as a sort of a regular content delivery mechanism. It'll be great for contracts, for archiving, for, you know, that type of thing. Right, Yay. Die, PDF. <laughs> die. Hey, yeah, pretty darn frustrating, PDF.
2: <laughs> well, and thank goodness we have, you know, companies like VFO who incorporated some OCR capabilities into their screen readers so that we can actually access inaccessible PDFs.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, but what we don't want uh, developers to think is that they've solved the problem right. by, you know, doing OCR on it because you can't navigate, uh, you can't navigate by headings. You can't get to the next table. You know, you can find out what the text is. Yeah. So that's helpful. But, you know, and and I'm really glad they did that. But uh, it uh, it's, you know, we don't want people to stop moving forward on their accessibility because they think that it's going to get solved at the AT level.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> So in a perfect world, what would you say sort of needs to happen in order to make all of this um, just work more efficiently and, and, and have better accessibility? Is it is it basically legislation? Do we just need to say, look, you know, if you if you develop something for the Web, it, it needs to have built in accessibility. Like what's the solution?
2: Litigate.
3: <laughs> well, you know, my my phone is ringing a lot more because there has been litigation. You know, there's a lot of people who call me because they're afraid. Yeah. And they want the guy from the from the WCAG, you know, to give them a stamp. You know, and so they want to do the things that I say and then they want to get the stamp. And then they want to say, see, I'm at the law. And so that's a good thing. Now, understanding that WCAG is a consensus document. And you know, somebody can make a WCAG informing site and it could be still have a lot of usability problems for screen reader users. So uh, you know, we we, we want to when I'm doing my reports, I always say, you know, now that you're here fixing this issue, why don't you just reach up that extra two inches and fix this here? And that's going to make it a lot more usable, even though it's not, you know, a requirement in WCAG or something. So I try to do that in my reports, but in a perfect world, you know, it's kind of a balance. You can, you can legislate behavior to a certain extent, but you can't legislate goodwill. And so, um, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I'm nervous. Uh, I'm nervous about, you know, the negative effects in the States of the hit and run lawsuits, because I, I mean, I'm getting a lot of calls because of them, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of pressure on government to fix, you know, do something to the ADA so that these things don't happen. Right. Right. And so, you know, there's been a string of lawsuits that, you know, I think any of us in the industry would say, you know, may have had more to do with a lawyer trying to make a buck than it had to do with making the website, you know, the web more accessible. Sure. You know, I'm not sure, like, but, but it's, you know, I, am not really, really close to that. So I'm a little outside my area of expertise, only in the area that it t- bumps up against me from time to time, you know, but, uh, but I, I think legislation is critical. Like I'm working with the Canadian government right now on the Canadians with Disabilities Act. I'm the lead accessibility consultant on that. And you know on the two, you know how to require WICAG 2.1 in the legislation, how that might look, and all the different, you know nuts and bolts of you know they have lots of questions about the WCAG and all that kind of thing. So you know I'm I'm a consultant on on that project, and I I'm totally behind. We got to get laws, we got to get make laws, but we have to be careful. I think the root of the problem is selfishness, you know selfishness on the part of companies. Selfishness on the part of us sometimes, you know, personally, we want to advance our careers, you know, uh, uh, in, in a way that's detrimental to other people. So that, you know, the lawyers who are, who are, you know, kind of got doing drive-by lawsuits, you know, are kind of creating a bad name for people who have legitimate concerns about websites, you know. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I know the legislation is one of the key components. The other key component is to really educate people on, on the difference it makes to people with disabilities. You know, when I go into teach courses, I, I'll teach, you know, I taught 80 people over at CBC, all of their web developers over there. And, and uh, you know, you'll get 20 people per class, you know, and in 20 people you probably will get, um, you know, f- five of them will really get it really well. But uh, three or two of them will, like, really catch fire, and one of them will become a rock star for their organization, and everybody will go to them. You know, and they will really understand the what's at stake here is that the future of people, you know, people with disabilities at stake here. Um, you know, and then you'll get, you know, another 10 who will want to follow the standard and just want to do, you know, the standard and don't make me do anything more, just let me do it. Then it'll be three or four or five Who'll be checking their email during a course? <laughs> you know? And it's pretty well, I can pretty well do a statistical analysis in any course I teach, and I'll get that kind of rollout. You know, if you pull aside a hundred students, you you get that kind of a breakdown usually. So, so we need we need thought leaders and we need, you know, organizations like yourselves who are you know trying to make it more make you know, make uh, accessibility more aware, you know, uh, people more aware of what's available to them. We need to educate people who use assistive technologies, how to better use their technology. You know, how many screen readers, I teach people who are screen reader users, and how many times I'll go in and they don't know that when they tab into the radio group, they have to start using the arrow keys to move between the radio buttons, Mm -hmm. right? These are basic things that, so we really need to provide a way, and I don't know what the answer is to that, but to help educate people who are using the assistive technology so that all these cool things that the the authors are doing and all these cool things that we're doing in the standards department and and everybody coming together can actually get used, you know? And, and I think that that's an important key feature too, you know, before making the complaint, make sure, do I actually know my technology well enough to know that there's actually a problem here, you know? yeah, So that we don't get a bad reputation for doing frivolous lawsuits. Yeah. So those, you know, those are my thoughts about it. I don't know. There, I, I'm sure there's a lot of other perspectives that are, that are viable and, and and really good too. That's just one thought.
0: What What's your take on on some of the um things that say Microsoft, for example, has been doing in terms of accessibility, like built-in accessibility features uh, into their uh, Office suite, for example?
3: You know what? I think it's amazing. I think it's really great to hear, you know, the, the head of uh, of Microsoft talking about accessibility
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
3: and the head, you know, the head of Facebook talking about accessibility. Can you imagine 20 years ago, the yeah. head of a large corporation yeah. talking about accessibility?
1: Well, back, no then, back then you might have one guy in the organization who was responsible for accessibility and he was banging his head against the wall constantly because <laughs> he couldn't get anybody to listen to him, right? Or, oh, yeah. Or, it was
3: just it's like guerrilla warfare you know <laughs> it's like you could you, there was no organization you, you know the way or accessibility get end up in the government stuff there'd be one guy who had a disability and then a few people would rally around them trying to help him help solve this the the problems that the assistive tech you know that, that the technology was presenting to them and then there would be a little bit of a leadership thing in that little group and then there'd be somewhere where else and you know, the problem in the early days was joining up all these little groups together so that they would talk to each other so they'd be solving the same problems and helping each one each other, you know. It's very, very different now. So this is exciting to me. I, I think it's amazing, you know, and, and and i like to see Apple do more. I, I'm disappointed that voiceover is not, you know, isn't where it could be. You know, I, I I test on voiceover, but there's a lot of things. I have to go back over to JAWS and, and because, you know, it's just not doing the right thing. Voiceover is not, handling and you know when you got a an organization as big as apple you no know, give it throw more to read. <laughs> yeah. at it, guys like stop don't sit on your laurels go forward you know so i think microsoft's starting to become a leader again because apple's starting to slug get sluggish well
2: and i think that's important too is we need to have multiple tools in our toolbox now you know i have jaws i have nvda i have system access and they all behave differently right so one screen reader just doesn't do it all anymore
3: no, and, and that was what the, the screen reader survey found. Yeah, that That's just, a, you know, most people are using three different screen readers, you know, and uh, and uh, but, you know, I don't know what you're finding, but I'm not finding in the field very many people who are serious about, you know, like working, you know, employed and all that kind of stuff who are using, vo- you know, a MacBook with voiceover on it. You know, I'm no. not seeing much of that. I'm seeing everybody's got an iPhone with VoiceOver on it. You know, but uh, I'm not seeing much of it. What are you? What are your thoughts on that?
2: No, I, I personally still think it's a Windows environment. You know, in the workplaces, um, Windows is still you know everybody's go-to operating yeah. system. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would agree.
3: Yeah, so it's it's not you know it's, and uh, so I I I'm uh, you know I'm I'm really glad to see Microsoft getting back on it, and I'm yeah. glad to, you know I have a new. Uh, surface book coming in tomorrow actually you know it's an expensive friggin machine yeah, <laughs> 3300 bucks but you know it's a nice little book that's you know a, a nice cool little windows machine you know so I, I work in both environments and uh, and uh, I'm kind of keep changing religions on that
2: <laughs> well and yeah you know there's nothing you know we're not knocking Apple at all you know when it comes to accessibility you know they've they've kind of charged the path and People who use Macs and voiceovers love their Macs and voiceovers. Um, they have their place.
0: But but I mean, you're right. Microsoft has had a great two years yep. in terms of uh, you know really coming to the forefront in, in one of the, the leaders of accessibility as well.
3: Yeah, we're very happy about it. And and uh, so th- these things are, are, there's a lot of hope for the future. You know, there's a lot of hope. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. One of the things I'm scared of is, you know, the economy, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's my only fear is that when there's, I guess there's two things I'm afraid of. You know, if I was to, you know, go doomsday and the the, the cup's half empty instead of half full, My two the two biggest threats, I would say, to accessibility going forward are um, the, uh, the uh, if we get any kind of an economic downturn, my experience is that the two things that go first are the arts and then, you know things that have to do with with accessibility and you know mm-hmm. uh, charity with a small C kind of thing. You know things that have to do with with uh, with trying to help out the guy you know who, who's who's trying to make things work. Right. The little guy. So I'm afraid of that. The other thing I'm afraid of is I'm afraid of the genetic testing uh, that's going on and. And the screening of, of of you know the unborn with disabilities—that's really scaring me too. As the technology goes forward, we're solving problems you know in the world with with technology with the, you know our our assistive technology. But but you know, 90% of people uh, you know of Down syndrome uh, are 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 not making it out of the womb, right? And. So I, I'm really scared about that going forward, you know, they're going to be able to d- detect other disabilities going forward. And, and I think that's just not the right path. And my wife and I, we, you know, when, when we were pregnant with our daughter, my, my daughter was, uh, you know, my wife's 48 years old, got a natural pregnancy. It's amazing, you know, it's a natural thing. And the, the OB said it was amazing. And, you know, the first thing they were asking us all about was, you know, do you want to do some testing? You know, you may not want to, you know, it's a very high risk and all that kind of thing. And I was able to say back to them, hey, I work with people with disabilities. It's going to be okay. I don't care. (laughs) I don't even want to see any results. Just, it's going to be fine.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Ryan, he's He's thinking...
2: No, no. I was just thinking. Campbell's been really silent this show. Oh my goodness! Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we haven't had to ding him at all. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> no lulls. It was a great show. Yeah, it was. It's, fa- it's fascinating, sort of, to
0: dig in and hearing sort of the the nuts and the bolts of mm-hmm. of, of the standards because. Really, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we just see the letters and that's, you know, and we, and we hear accessibility and we think, oh, okay, that means, you know, alt tags on pictures and without really realizing how deep it actually really goes. Right? Well, as somebody
2: yeah. who's blind, you know, I just want my screen reader to work, right? I had no idea what goes into these standards. So it's interesting.
3: Yeah, it's uh yeah never never ask how they make a sausage, <laughs> <laughs>
2: but it tastes good when it's out Absolutely. Right?
0: <laughs> uh David, anything you would like to mention or plug uh while we've got you here? Well, there's a couple of things um so, uh,
3: I, first off, I really want to thank you guys for, you know, for, for putting assistive technology up front. I want to thank Steve for his years and years and years of dedication, you know, the hard work he's been doing in, in making the world better for people with disabilities. And he's been right down in the trenches trying to solve problems for, for real people who have real problems. I really want to thank Steve for his commitment to accessibility and the, and the way that's changed the world. So that's, a, you know, to me is a real you know, uh, edifying and it and it's inspiration to me also. You know, it's, so that's, that's one thing. Um, the other thing is is, is just well, if people want to find out more about what I do and 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 my website, it's davidmacd.com. D a d a d a v i d m a c d dcom or you can just Google David MacDonald M a c MacDonald into uh, Wikipedia. You know, and and put accessibility or something into Google and should pop right up.
1: And we'll link your uh, your site to our show notes as well. Absolutely. Sounds great.
0: David, thanks so much for uh, joining us and, and chatting with us today. This was actually really super interesting. Oh, great. Super. I hope you guys have a fantastic day and we'll
3: talk to you again soon sometime. Thanks. Perfect. Thanks David. so much. Take care, man. Kay.
0: Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, damn it. I, I, I forgot to ask him to say uh, to make us an offer that we couldn't refuse. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh oh hold on wait wait oh. Oh, I'm getting squished up against the wall. Steve's head's growing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> ah, it's filling the room. Jeez,
1: I, can't, I can't take that kind of praise,
0: man. <laughs> Ego <laughs> growing. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh dear. No, that was that was really interesting. Yeah, it really was. Guy has been around the block and then some. Yes, indeed. But it's still like it. It still fascinates me. When was that Donna Joden lawsuit? Was that two thousand eight, two thousand
2: six, two thousand eight? We'd have to go back and look.
0: Anyway, it still it still amazes me that you know, say it's it's only ten years old, like ten mm-hmm. years, and and before then, there were government government websites that just weren't
1: accessible. There still are. Yep. Ugh. There still are. I mean, there, there's there's still. I mean, you, you have to keep in mind there are. A huge number of government websites and new ones going up every single day. Well, and you think so, of like the government's website, it's not
2: just, you know, 10 pages. It could be 10,000 pages. Sure. You know.
0: Well, the number in his bio, you know, we we're talking about there, there were going over 10 million pages. Yeah. That's insane. Of, of government <laughs> websites. <Like,
1: laughs> yeah. And, and then, you know, you've got to think about uh, accessibility for all the forms that are linked to yeah. it as well. You know, that's another whole issue there. You know because all of those need to be accessible for the government as well so it's a it's a massive massive undertaking yeah you know, absolutely and I mean I didn't even think of stuff like you know
0: cognitive disabilities uh you know you, you often you just think of um, you know you just think of you know visual impairments but there's you know there's a lot of different aspects disabilities to it. all that stuff yeah yep so and with you know with technology you know sort of developing at a breakneck pace uh, he's got his work cut out for him
1: Oh, yeah, no doubt. He'll uh, he'll He's keep himself employed for the next thousand years or so. <laughs>
0: Pretty much. Yeah, I don't know. He's, he doesn't have time for a kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? Well,
2: if you saw my most recent tweet, they can now find us on the Amazon Echo.
0: What?
2: Yeah, you can now, if you enable the AnyPod skill. Hold on. If you ask your Amazon Echo to enable the AnyPod skill, Uh you can now say A word, play, or A word, ask AnyPod to play the at banter podcast. Sweet. And we now get played. Gnarly. So we are on the Google Home. We are on the Amazon Echo. Hopefully soon to also be on Spotify. And. The guitar dungeon, as usual.
0: And what about a website? Oh, a website. Oh, right. <laughs> that thing. That's all those. Guys. That's antiquated. Yeah, a, yeah, right. That's www.atbanter.com. Hey, they can also email us if they so desire. Maybe ask us about what the hell the deal is with that cowbell thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you email atbanterpodcast
1: at gmail.com. Well, isn't that exciting? And you know, if you're <laughs> uh, into them social media feeds, you can also get us at uh, Facebook. You can get us at Twitter, and you can get very limited content at Instagram. Did you actually
0: speaking of that? Did you get the uh, the login and pass? I did. I yeah. You? Okay. Cool yeah, cool. yeah, I did. Uh, hey, Steve. Yeah, Rob. Where can people find? You slash us.
1: Well, people can find me and my newly inflated ego at um, <laughs> www.canasstech.com. That's uh, Canadian Assistive Technology, C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H. I am also Steve at canasstech.com.
0: And uh, what about that guy? What is that guy that, that uh, we see at breakfast that's really cranky and
1: uh that rick chant repair anything you got kind of dude that's the guy that dude is available at chaos you got to spell it out the long way c-h-a-o-s for chaos technical or email him at chaos tech at and he will fix anything except your cat <laughs> <laughs>
0: and even then maybe for the right price yeah you never know <laughs> All right, that is going to do it for this week. I've been Rob Minot, I've been Ryan Fleury.
1: And I am the super inflated ego of Steve Barkley.
0: Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see everybody
1: next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com, that's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com, or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840, or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.